Well, it happens tomorrow at 4.24 p.m. It's going to be here. The promise of warmer weather. Vibrant color. The abundance of new life. It's the only season that brings us new life. And, oh yeah, tree pollen. And it happens all precisely at 4.24 p.m. tomorrow. Right, church? We're just going to be like flipping a switch and it's all going to happen at once. Okay, maybe not. We'll come back to that a bit later. But we've been talking in this series about the Son and the Scriptures and looking at how Jesus Himself would quote the Bible of His day. And he would often quote the Torah. And then today we're going to see that it was not limited to the Torah. Somebody asked in our Wednesday night class, Hey, you mentioned Torah. Is, is that the whole of the Old Testament? Or what exactly is that? And, and the Torah refers to the books of Moses, those first five books of the Bible. Often referred to as the Pentateuch. And so it's a case where Torah is a Hebrew word. Pentateuch comes from the Greek language. Kind of like Messiah is from Hebrew. Christ, which means the same thing, comes from Greek. And so Jesus would often quote, though, from the Hebrew Scriptures. And so we look today in Mark chapter 12... But to understand fully what Jesus is saying here in Mark chapter 12, because in a moment we're going to focus beginning at verse 28, but I want to take us all the way back to verse 1 of Mark 12. Because Jesus is, all this is taking place in one setting. And it says here, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. And he says, a small man, uh, excuse me, a man planted a vineyard. And so he's referring there, just that, that vineyard then would take a lot of those people back to Isaiah chapter 5. They would have been familiar with the concept of the vineyard. They would have been familiar with the vineyard being used as an example in the Hebrew Scriptures. And in this parable, what he's basically saying is that there were some mean people that came along and even the vineyard owner decided, well, hey, they've, they've not treated my servants very well, but if I send my son, they'll treat him well. And then he gets to verse 10. We get to verse 10. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And right there, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 118, 22 and 23. Because the point of the Scripture is, he's calling out some of the Jewish leaders and saying, hey, here I am, I'm the Son and you're not acknowledging me. You're not treating me very well. 
just as we gathered around the table a moment ago and Chad in no, uh, in no uncertain terms reminded us that it's all about Jesus, isn't it Chad? It is all about Jesus. And so there Jesus standing before them is telling them this parable and saying, listen, the stone you rejected is the cornerstone because Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And so this teaching wasn't lost on the Jewish leaders. They picked up what he was trying to get to because in verse 12, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. They knew that Jesus had the crowd on his side. I hope Jesus has the crowd on his side this morning. But then we look at verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And so then we see how that ended. We look down at the very last sentence in verse 17. And they were amazed at him. And then we look at verse 18. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. And then we look how that ended. Verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Because see, what would happen is someone would go to a teacher with a question. And so they go to the teacher with a question and they say, teacher or master, you know, can, you know, I've got a question for you. And so then, then the, the teacher then would often say, okay, well, you know, how do you understand it? You tell me. And so then it's up to the teacher to tell them whether they got it right or wrong. And so right here we see Jesus doesn't hesitate to say, you got it wrong. He says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. And so then we finally get, now see, understand what's going on here. They keep coming after him trying to catch him in his words. First we had Pharisees and Herodians, then we had Sadducees. Now, verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, this is not an uncommon question. Because the rabbis were known to have sat around for hours debating that very question. Okay, which do you think is the greatest of the commandments? And so, as Chad mentioned this morning, 613 of them. 613 comes from the Midrash. And the Midrash was this oral collection of interpretations. It's where they would take the Jewish law, the Torah, and then they would take that and they would uh, translate that into, into oral interpretation. And so that oral interpretation is then recorded and so now they've got 613 commandments. 365 prohibitions. In other words, thou shalt not do something. 
and then 248 positive commands. You shall do this, fill in the blank. So it adds up to 613. And so, and so they would sit around, these rabbis would, and debate for hours, as they were known to do, which of those 613 oral interpretations of the Torah, the books of Moses, what's commonly referred to as the law, and they would debate which of these commands is the most important. And so now that's the question he's posing to Jesus. Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and from Leviticus 19 that for this audience and certainly for this teacher of the law would have been scriptures that they were very aware of. Most any Jew would have been aware certainly of Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which is something they would have said most every day, multiple times a day even. So then he responds, verse 32, and says, Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And so Jesus, in this role of the teacher, is the one who gives give approval or correction to the to his what he has said in response to Jesus. And so Jesus sort of has the last word here. It's Jesus who said, you know, you know, you're, you've you've answered wisely. Uh, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then so then at that point they know they can't trap him in his words and they walk away. And so, aren't we appreciative that Jesus summed it up so nicely? All these commandments, and it comes down to love the Lord your God with everything you've got, is the way I might say it. And then love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. I don't think any of us gets out of bed in the morning and say, you know, I want someone to treat me rudely. You know, I want someone to cut me off in traffic. I want someone to, and we could just keep on filling in that blank, couldn't we? I want someone to be impatient with me. I want someone, to, when, I need a, when I need them to grab a door and hold it open, uh, when I've got a load in my hands, I want them to just ignore me. Just pretend that I'm invisible. And we can go on and on and on. And so we, we boil all that down. It's on our website. Love God 
love others. Which other's church? All others, that's right. And how often are we supposed to love them? All the time. And so are we grateful? Are we grateful that it's that easy? Love God, love others. And so now we can just flip that switch and just say, well, there we go. Christianity explained. And now we've got no more problems, no more cares, no more worries, do we, church? we got no more baggage, right? And so there it is. It's just so easy. It's like spring. It's like spring showing up precisely at 424 tomorrow. Oh, spring is here. I don't need my sweater anymore, do I? Oh, my goodness, because 424 tomorrow is, man, it's going to feel great. It's going to feel great. I don't need, I don't need that. I'm not going to need that again until, like, what, October? Right? That'll be great. Nah. It's not, it doesn't work that way, does it, church? It doesn't work that way. What are we going to need for spring? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to... We still need our puffer jacket. Yeah, we still need... What's that say? Help me out, L.O. Bean. 850 goose down. That's what we need, man, right there. Oh, yeah. We gotta, we, we're still going to need... Uh, if you went out this morning early enough, you saw snowflakes, and I ain't kidding about that. At 10 minutes after 8 this morning, I'm walking the dog, and, man, my wife is a champ. Normally, Sunday morning, she knows I've been up late the night before, and she wants to give me every ounce of rest that she can give me, and so she takes the dog out this morning with her out of town, out of the state. I get up, and the first thing I did was throw on some body covering, and I bundled up. And so what did I have to do on the day before the first day of spring? And so, yeah, it's not just the puffer jacket, man. You've got to, you know, and any, any parent... Hey, my wife made this hat. Do not laugh at it. No, any... Oh, man, that vent is hot. Can somebody cut that down? I know somebody fanned it a little while ago. Uh, I'm going to be fanning in a second with this thing on. Okay. And so any parent or grandparent of any kid who's ever played baseball or softball, right? Come on, baseball, softball parents. You raise those hands high. Woo! I know we got a bunch in here. And you know... That come when the season starts, you will, as my mother would say, freeze your foo foo off. Okay, you want to know what a foo foo is? You ask my mama, because I never, I didn't have sense never to ask. But yeah, you're gonna freeze to death. You are absolutely gonna freeze to death. It's not like you just flip a switch and all of a sudden it's here. You're going to need still some of that cold weather clothing. You're still going to need the sweaters on some days. You're still going to need the jackets. You're still going to need the hats. And you're still going to need the gloves. Why? Because spring is gradual, isn't it? It'd be great if we like, okay, the latter half of March, it's going to be now just nothing but 60s. And then by early April, we're going to be firm into the 70s. And then we get into late April, and now we're in the mid-upper 70s, and then we get into May, and yeah, it's, 
getting to be a pretty good model for torment in here with this thing on. Uh, so, then we're going to get to the point, oh man, just as spring is ready to half pass the baton off to summer in the month of June, then we're going to be, oh, we're going to be mid-80s by then. And we will be. Because spring never fails to deliver that warm weather, does it? Spring never fails to deliver the budding trees. By the time summer gets here, every tree, as far as the eye can see, is going to be in, you know, full leaf. It never fails. By the time summer gets here, it's going to be warm. It's going to be colorful. All the things that spring promises are going to be here by the time we get to the month of June. But we all know that spring is a process, isn't it? You are going to have some days, and I think this week there are forecasts, some days in the 60s. Praise the Lord, because, wow, this has been a cold weekend. And then we're going to have some days in the 70s. And then we're going to have another Arctic blast come through. And, and then we're going to have some more weather in the, in the 40s and 50s. And if you're out at night, maybe even in the 30s some. And then it's going to warm back up. And then you're going to have another little cold snap. And, and then we're going to be reaching for the jackets. Maybe not as heavy. But it doesn't happen all at once. We know that. We've lived through it every year of our lives. And in our minds, we might say, hey, spring is here. You know, we get past Easter. Oh, it's warmer weather, but well, okay, maybe not. And isn't that exactly, church, how our spiritual lives work? We know the truth of God's Word, don't we? And we know. We talk about it all the time. And why do we talk about loving God and loving others all the time? Because Jesus himself said, these are the greatest commands. Matthew records them as saying, all the law, all the prophets, hang on these two commands. To love God and love others. To love our neighbors. In Luke's Gospel, somebody says, okay, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus teaches a parable as an example for who our neighbor is. And that's where we get in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so that's where we get the idea that Jesus says, hey, your neighbor is the complete stranger that you encounter on the road. And so we know, don't we, that loving God and loving others has its challenges. Because sometimes other people are not easy to love. And if we're honest when we look in the mirror, sometimes we ourselves are not always easy to love. I hope that we can all have enough honesty and humility within us to realize we all have moments when we're not very easy to love. And that just as we want others to look past our moments of weakness and our quirks and our challenging personalities, that we too will look at others.
other's weaknesses and challenging personalities with an abundance of grace. Knowing that Jesus died for us even in our weakest moments. In my Sunday school class this morning, we looked at that, that verse from Romans 5, verse 8, that says, And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Eugene Peterson in his translation called The Message says that while we were of absolutely no use to God, Christ died for us. And I love that, the way he puts that there. Because yes, because of our sin, God could have no part with us and so therefore we were of no use to God. But God says, I love them anyway. And I want them to have a way back to me and so he does it in Jesus, in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so this same Jesus who uses the Bible in moments where he's challenged, in moments where he's asked questions, and he knows it well enough. And so church, what's the message for us today? I hope that in this series you've realized the importance of us knowing Scripture, of us having at least a rough idea of where to turn in Scripture for something. I got calls this week or text messages this week, and I absolutely love it. Sometimes I don't get that for a couple weeks at a time, but sometimes the the calls and the text messages, you know, come in, in an abundance. And this was kind of one of those weeks where people had some questions You know, what does the Bible say about this, Greg? Or, you know, this is the situation I'm being faced with, and then I'm able to use Scripture to say, well, this is an example that comes to mind. This is what what the Bible says. This Bible that as we've described in this assembly is this beautiful, not just a boring piece of ancient words and history, but that this Bible, when we look at it through a clear and correct lens, is a love letter to the God who loves us, who sent His one and only Son to die on a cross for our sins. And so that one and only Son, then, is the one who says... You know, here's, here's what you do. If you don't want to be far from eternal life, love God with everything you've got. And then also love others. Love those that were created in His image. He doesn't come out and say it, but we know He means it. Love them in spite of their difficulties, their challenges, their moments of weakness. Because we all, all, all have them. And so in Romans 13, as we begin to draw to a close our time together this morning, we see that Paul is kind of fulfills this idea. Well, I shouldn't say fulfill it. He kind of summarizes it. Verse 8 of Romans 13, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. That church we, most of us, I think, probably know what it's like to carry some kind of debt. And you know what it's like to have to make that payment, whether you're making it online or you're doing it the old-fashioned way and writing a check out. And a lot of us know what it's like to finance a house. And you finance that thing 15, 20, sometimes 30 years. Or a car. And I remember first time I bought a car, my payment was like, I don't know, $136 a month, and I financed it for 36 months. And I paid it off six or seven months early. I got out from under that light debt. And then as we get older, we see things getting more expensive, don't we? And so used to, 36 months was the norm to, to finance a car. And then it got to be 48 months, and then 60 months, and, and then, wow, 72. Now I understand they'll finance a car 84 months. Okay, y'all, that's seven years. I'll just tell you, please don't do that. <laughs> Don't, it's not like a house where it actually goes up in value. If you can help it, uh, an automobile is a what, what's known as a depreciating asset. Okay, in other words, every month it's worth. If you write another check, yet again, that that asset is worth a little bit less than it was the month before. And so, eighty-four months is a long time because some probably in seven years you're going to be paying for not just maintenance but repairs at some point. And so you can afford the repairs if you're not still writing the check. But my point is, this isn't a message about finances. My point is, we know what it's like to have something kind of hanging over our heads. Scripture tells us, one of our speakers at Winterfest reminded us of this, that Proverbs says the borrower is slave to the lender. I know that. I, I, I know what that's like. And so, um, and so when, when Paul says, you know, that of, all, of the only debt to let remain outstanding, you know, in other words, pay off all your debts whenever you can. If you, if you borrow something, you pay it off. Pay off all your debts. Let nothing remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Now, why is that a continuing debt for us? Because aren't we indebted to God? Because Jesus paid that price on the cross. And so we were bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus. And so let's, let's have that attitude of, wow, that's hanging over my head. My sins are forgiven. Praise God! But... I've got a debt because of that. And how do I pay off that debt, that continuing debt to love others? And so that is our payment.
our payment is to go out every single day outside these walls and to love others and sometimes to make sacrifices for others. So church, that's what we want hanging over our head is to say, you know what? If I'm going to pay it back, if I'm going to pay it back, I'm going to do it by loving others because that's my continuing debt and that debt is never fulfilled. Paul says it's always outstanding. It's always outstanding. He says I want you to think of it that way because that way you're always out there thinking, you know what? I've got a debt and I need to pay it off. I've got a debt. I need to work toward it. I need to love others. Paul knew that it was work. Paul had his moments of weakness. Paul had thorns in his flesh. You read Romans 7 and you know Paul struggles with human nature. It's a church family. It is a struggle. It is a process. It's not a simple flipping of a switch. But let's work every day in our spiritual lives to be people who love God with everything we've got and who love others. That's the challenge before us. And the idea is that we love God above everything else. That there is no idol, there's no anything that gets in between us and God if we love Him with everything we've got.